now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And that is our cue uh, to start the bat around for Saturday, September 23rd, 2017. Stan the fan over here wearing a sort of off turquoise top. What is this, a fashion show? Are you paying me back for what I just did to you? Jeez, what What is is this, this? tit for tat? What is this, a fashion show? Nobody cares what you're wearing. Well, obviously nobody cares about what you're wearing, including your wife. No. Sports Science Academy. Right, Kenwood High School. Oh, okay. Kenwood High School. Uh, okay. You want to you want to knock about my, my high school? Knock about. Yeah, you want to knock me about my high school and, and Mike Preston's high school and Paul Minimeyer's high school? Yes, huh? Paul Minimeyer. All right, well, let's talk about this then. <laughs> uh, welcome aboard. It is the bat around. Little different uh, programming today, Craig. We get into a routine most times of getting some of the same guests. And uh, and if not the same guests, the same basic ideas and, uh, you know, getting writers, beat writers and uh, scouts and so on and so forth. Today, we've got a couple different guests. First of all, Mike Gibbons, the retired director of Babe Ruth Museum. He's still very much involved with the sports legends in Babe Ruth Museum. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes for uh, about five minutes to talk about an exciting event they have this morning, starting at 11.30 and going to 1 o'clock, when Trey Mancini is going to visit for a Q&A and an autograph session. And you know you've made it in, in town and with the ball club if you, when you're getting asked to do things like that. Yeah, yeah. But you would agree, one of the, you know, and I know you get along pretty well with players in general, but one of the truly nicest guys that has come up in this organization in a long time. And the reason is because he's down to earth. He gets it. He understands. reason is his parents taught him right. That's right. what it and, really and, is. And, and, Unlike our parents. Well, good upbringing and things of that nature, sure. That Bonza's parents brought him up right. Well, they, yeah. No, yeah, but nobody don't, in that don't, family. Don't let Craig get nobody, started. Nobody in that family taught him how to drive, <laughs> though. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, Trey just gets it. He's... He's there to answer questions after the game. He's polite. Uh, y- you know, he's, he's respectful he's of the process. Very respectful of the process. Yes. All right. Anyway, we're going to talk to uh, Mike about that and uh, see what kind of crowd they're going to have expect over there at the Babe Ruth House. That's over on Emory Street, uh, and there's still plenty of time for those of you listening to say, "Oh, geez, I didn't realize Trey Mancini is going to be there." We'll find out if there is a cost attached to it. I'm sure there is, but it's going to get you an autograph as well as uh, hearing Trey Mancini. Right, and should be uh, informative, should be very interesting. Chance to meet one of the Orioles' young and upcoming stars. And uh, you, you mentioned Mr. Gibbons, uh, but also uh, one of the people that used to work with Mike, uh, Lori Ward, right. who left several years ago and went to Syracuse and different universities uh, in, in the Northeast. Uh, she was in town the other day, 
and now was working at uh, Hood College up in Frederick. Okay. Okay, so she was there, and she came down to say hello and everything. What and, is she doing at Hood College? Uh, some administrative uh, okay. work. Okay, yeah. all right, she and, works uh, for the college. Right, right. and... Uh, She's, I didn't know whether she worked well, for the I, uh, concessionaire or something. No, no, no concessionaire. She's colleges at Syracuse. No, and, and, and she uh, says to me, she says, she's down the day before the media got the, the skull, the winter skull caps. Okay. You know, the giveaway that I guess they gave away last night, maybe, or the night before. The uh, night before, yeah, I think it was. a couple of nights ago. So she says... Hey, next time you're coming up to Frederick, can you grab me one of those beanies? <laughs> so now I have to make a trip to Frederick. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Anyway, uh, after uh, Mike Gibbons, he's only going to be on for about five minutes because he's rushing around like crazy to finalize all the, the, uh, the, the, the process of having Trey in there today. Uh, we're going to be joined by Rich Dubroff, and that's one of our typical guests to talk about the Orioles' end of season and uh, some of the news coming out about Zach Britton and his knee injury, that most likely he won't pitch again. The fact that the Orioles have, are being very straightforward and saying Manny Machado will not be shopped at all during the offseason. And then news from John Heyman and Jeff Passan, or is it Morosi, about the Orioles Go, big surprise that the yeah, Orioles big, are going to be which going. Which is the biggest non-story out there. Right, that they're going for two pitchers. They've got two starting pitchers, really, in <laughs> right. the fold for next year. Right. Uh, no, right. they're going to go go right. find try to find some pitching. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Very good. Touche. Anyway, we'll have on uh, Rich to talk about those topics, and Rick, Rich will probably puncture that that as being a story as well. That's when it gets interesting. At 1040, we're going to have on Ed Wheatley, and Ed... And uh, along with two of his cohorts, uh, Bill Borst and Bill Rogers have written a book called The Story of a Beloved Team, uh, the St. Louis Browns, which became the Baltimore Orioles in 1954. They were sold to Baltimore Interest from uh, Bill Veck, mm-hmm. owned the team in St. Louis. And uh, we'll talk about the history of the St. Louis Browns. And they take exception to the fact that people in Baltimore are not particularly interested in in that because I they've asked me to reach out to the Orioles and see if there would be any interest in the Orioles selling the book and I just I asked a couple people and I was told that there's really not that much interest. No, in there's not. And you know, this is one of the things that I, I look at down the road with the Expos moving to Washington. Right. And this is one of those things where I'm not a big fan of when they when they when somebody breaks a record They'll say it's a franchise record, Expos, Nationals, or right. they'll say it's a franchise, it's a team record, Nationals, 2005 to present. Right. You know, and uh, I think it's absolutely ridiculous, you know, that Gary Carter and Andre Dawson are in the Nationals Ring of Honor on, on the stadium. I right. Just, it's, it doesn't it, make any doesn't sense. doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any yeah. sense. I, I would agree with that. Um, anyway, we'll talk to the – but the story can still be – the book is not about how Baltimore's not right, interested. Right. If you're a baseball fan, the book, the story of a beloved team, uh, is interesting. Absolutely, and yeah. I'll read anything, baseball, and, yeah. and that gives me background as to what this team was like and, you know, before – you know, because short of talking to Phil Wood, I would have no. <laughs> short of talking to Phil Wood, I would have no idea. Right. Anyway, we'll talk to him, and then joining us at eleven oh five, I had an email from a Rob Lear, PR about a 
that nine days ago, and I opened it up, and I know I've received other things from Rob Lear, but this one really caught my eye. There was a symposium last Saturday in Minnesota called Million Dollar Arms Symposium, uh, and it is how to prevent and recover from baseball injuries, mostly pitching injuries, okay? Mm-hmm. And they had quite a panel there, uh, ex-Major League pitcher Jim Brower, uh, who's now a uh, organizational pitching coach in the, I think, in the Cubs organization? Uh, Derek Falvey, the general manager of the Twins. Although I didn't see him on the initial you know, video of the symposium. Then they had a uh, Doctor uh, Dom D A H M. I think her name was Dorothy Dom uh, from uh, Mayo Clinic, and a couple other folks. The the head baseball coach at Min- the University of Minnesota was part of it. And you don't see the crowd in it, but it was very interesting. The two co-hosts uh, that were emceeing the event did a real nice job moving it, around, moving it along. I listened to about 15 minutes of it this morning, and I apologize. I sent it to you late, but I think you'll be able to uh, sort of follow along and, and come up with good questions anyway because yeah. Yeah. most of it really comes – most of the experts now, I think we had this notion that uh, – you know, uh, who's the last Oriole pitcher? Dylan Bundy. That he got his his Tommy John surgery was necessary because of just that day he tore his Tommy John, you know, uh, ligament in his elbow. Mm-hmm. It's all the overuse that built up to that, you know. I think I think part of it's the overuse. Yeah. I also think mechanically there's issues. I mean, I think you can point to Steven Strasburg. Right. When he had his Tommy John, I think what a lot of led, led up to that was – not to say there couldn't have been anything wrong just by the wear and tear uh, of pitching, but you also have a guy who's got kind of a violent motion. Yep. One of the reasons why he went to pitching out of the stretch this year to try to see if he could stay healthy. Calm himself to, uh, Calm a himself bit. down a little bit. It seems to have worked. So that's another issue we could probably roach with them. Right. So Nick Kennedy will join us from Million Dollar Arm. He is the founder of the Million Dollar Arm Symposium. And then at 11.35, the return uh, long-awaited of Bill Ladson. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but okay. <laughs> well, I like Bill. I, I do, happen too. to like Bill. I and do, I too. I like his politics. Oh, well, you would. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. But he's a pain in the butt. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think that's probably why we've stayed friends since the inception of the Nationals coming to town in, in 05. Is Mike Gibbons on? All right. Joining us right now is the, I call him the Director Emeritus of the Babe Ruth Museum and Birthplace, and he's my friend, and he ran the uh, Sports Legends Museum. Uh, he joins us now for a brief conversation just about today's event, and that is Michael Gibbons. Mike, you're on with Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. How are you, Michael? How you doing, guys? I'm, I'm doing great. We've got a, a nice day down here. Uh, Trey Mancini is coming over to the Birthplace at 1130, uh, so if there are any fans out there that want to meet, uh, meet Trey and and uh, get an autograph. They ought to come on down to the to the Babe Ruth birthplace. Uh, let's cut to the chase. What is the the tribute necessary to the Babe Ruth birthplace to get in? Well, we're charging twenty five dollars for an autograph, um, which is significantly we checked it out significantly less than Trey normally would get. So, uh, but Trey is doing this to benefit our museum and, and the foundation. So it's uh, it's terrific, and we're. 
Really looking forward to meeting him. Um, expect a good crowd down here. He will be signing until 1 o'clock this afternoon. So um, it, I, I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to meet him. I know you got a busy schedule this morning. We're only going to keep you a couple more minutes because you can only repeat it so often that it starts at 1130. At the address is 516 Emory Street? 216. 216. 216 Emory. 216 uh, Emory the, uh, Street. zip code is zip code is 21230 if you want to map quest it. It's uh, two blocks northwest of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. All right. Or two, as we like to say, a long fly ball. Yeah. Two, <laughs> 216 South Emory Street, and it's uh, 21230. My questions real quick were... It's listed as a Q&A and an autograph signing. What are you going to do about a 15, 20-minute uh, discussion and Q&A with Trey and then let him sign? That's right. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be doing the, the Q&A in the courtyard and uh, go about 20 minutes or so doing that. Uh, you know, questions like, how did you get your nickname? Because his name is not Trey. Right. <laughs> his name is Joseph. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit into that. I also uh, want to talk with him about how he perceives this ball club handling this situation that they're in, where they're just, you know, swooning here, yeah. and um, how the guys are doing. So maybe maybe take us behind the scenes into the Oriole Clubhouse a little bit. Just in the future, Craig Heist and I would have been available to MC that, you know? I, I, listen, I know you guys. You guys have always been uh, <laughs> dedicated kidding. supporters of ours. And, of course uh, we are. Yeah, you know. All right. Um, so, okay, I'll tell you so what. We, I'll tell you what, Mike. I had a uh, chance to see Lori Ward the other day, who used to work up there at the at the museum, and uh, yeah. and she's doing pretty well. She's back in Maryland, so I'm sure she uh, will probably drop down at some point in time again. But uh, although we've we've uh, we've seen uh, Lori a couple of times and and uh, stay in touch with her pretty regularly, and uh, she was a great worker down here and. And uh, you know, led us to uh, the opening of Sports Legend. She was our PR person yep. here, and uh, then she took a job making a lot more money than we could afford, and off she went. <laughs> it's funny so, how that happens. <laughs> all right, how it, many it, how it, many it, people it, do you expect down there this morning between eleven thirty and one o'clock to see and talk to Trey Mancini? Um, well, we uh, have to. I, I would guess seventy five to one hundred people. You have to. Uh, you can't bring in more people. Then, um, uh, then he can sign. Right. That would not be fair to the fans. So uh, we, we're, uh, I think that we're in the seventies right now, and, and but we do have room for a few more. But once we get to about a hundred, we're gonna we're gonna cut it off. All right. So, um, but tell fans to come on down. Um, plenty of street parking available, and uh, down in lovely Ridgely's Delight. So I'll let you know how this goes. But this kid seems like a, a joy. He's, and, a, um, he's a genuine article, as they say. He's a good yeah, kid. Yeah, we're looking forward good to meeting uh, We'll grab you sometime uh, late fall uh, to get you on to talk about some new news regarding the birthplace and also maybe some sports legends news, all right? Yeah, I, I hope we'll have a big announcement coming up pretty soon. Um, we've uh, got a, a, a huge meeting next week. And uh, as far as relocating the sports legends collection, so um, wow. you know we'll do that and we'll talk a little football, talk a little baseball. All right, what's going on? Keep our fingers crossed uh, because uh, I th- I think we know now with the sports legends having closed down. What's it been about a year and a half now? Year and three yeah, quarters. It's, it's almost two years. Almost two years. It is a void uh, left. Uh, it really is, and we hope uh, we wish you great luck at getting that back off the ground. All right. Well, all right. Well, thank you, man. And uh, 
I hope I'll be chatting with you soon. All right. Thank you very much, Michael Gibbons. Okay. Again, Thanks, boys. Again, Trey Mancini down at South Emory Street, 216 South Emory, 1130 this morning till 1 o'clock. Okay. Good time. $25, uh, Q&A, and some autographs. Yep. All right. Um, so, the Orioles, Craig, yes, before sir. we get our man Rich Dubroff on, uh, this is not the way they would have drawn up the uh, the playbook. Uh, three and thirteen in the last sixteen games. Yeah, and uh, you know you you can pretty much point right to the pitching uh, as the main reason why the starting pitching it just really hasn't been there. And when they have gotten decent starting pitching, you know, and I'm talking not necessarily a, a, a you know a Gosman start the last time out, but I'm talking about you know, guys that can go five or six innings. I mean, the, the bats haven't been there, and that's been kind of a bad combination right now. And it's it's you, you think back to that seven-game winning streak, and you were thinking, okay, maybe this is possible. Yeah. Make a good run. Buck Showalter, the whole nine yards about his record in, in some September, uh, just hasn't turned out this way and or that way. And this, this team has just gone – Bottom up, if you will, because of the lack of pitching and pretty much the lack of offense here in, yeah. the, in the month of September. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know that August 1st or, or, or the 30th, when they were deciding whether to trade Britain or, or stick with the, the plan and, and try and uh, help the team, they made that trade for Hellickson. They made that trade for Beckham mm-hmm. and for... Two and a half weeks, it really looked like it was working to perfection. You know, as good as Dan Duquette was feeling at that time, He's that's about just how just as bad yeah. right now he feels that the whole thing blew up in their face. Yeah, it did. And again, it's, uh, you know, I'm not saying those moves are the reason for that. No, you, you know, not either. Right. But I mean, when you think about Hellickson's first two or three starts with this ball club as opposed to what you've gotten since then. Uh, that's not real good. And you have a pitcher also that came out the day he got here and said, I've never liked pitching in this ballpark. <laughs> so that's uh, <laughs> yeah, not really a good way to start <laughs> off. But nonetheless, uh, I-, I think everybody kind of knows what Jeremy Hellickson is. He's not a guy that's going to blow you away with a big, hard, fastball. He's going to off-speed you, nickel and dime you, location. That's what he needs to be to be. Yep. That's what he needs to do to be successful, and he hasn't been able to do it. He's kind of like a poor man's Marco Estrada. Depends yeah. heavily on that uh, changeup, yeah. and if he's not setting it up nicely and not locating it nicely, he can be in a world of trouble. And maybe one of the worst pitching performances I've seen by a major league pitcher was Wade Miley's half, third of an inning. In New York. In New York. It was just absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. And, uh, let me ask you a question. You've watched him now. Oh, for, and Obaldo going out with the bang last night at Camden y- Yard. Year and a year and two months of Wade Miley. Mm-hmm. You know the deal. They've got an option on him, which when you look at what pitching cost, it's not totally nonsensical. But is there any way you bring him back at twelve million dollars uh, next year? I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. See, well, you know, if you'd asked me that a month ago, I'd have said yes. If you asked me two weeks ago, I wrote a column that that came out the day it came out on the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. The night he pitched in New York was the fourteenth. Uh-huh. Made me look like a jackass. Well, okay? that's, that's not, not a very, hard thing to that's do. Not very hard. However, thing to do. yes, uh, and 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 keep in mind that, that column probably coincided with the kind of luck you have in fantasy baseball for <laughs> you know Did you have to bring that up well pick up a guy on fantasy and then he goes in the tank 
They don't go in the tank this year. Or they All get they hurt. do is they get hurt. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. We've got Rich Stubroff on with us. All right, Rich Stubroff. You know, the, the man wears many hats, but i got to tell you, one of the most enjoyable hats for me is he's the purveyor of T-shirt or jersey of the night mm-hmm. out at Camden Yards. And uh, Rich, this week, was able to get you ready for this. In one week, toward the end of the season, it's usually like the dregs yeah, of the slim, coffee. Slim, slim Pickens. Pickens. Right. He has pulled off Luis Aparicio. Gus Triandos, two number 11s, and last night, who did we get last night, Rich, or who did you get last night? Well, a, uh, uh, a tweet sent in a picture of himself wearing Bobby Gritch. Number and, three. Uh, and also, Don, we also got Don Stanhouse this week. Yeah, that's right. All in the last, like, two weeks. It's been unbelievable. Unbelievable. Complete with cigarette. <laughs> I think, though, I think, and I don't know if you ended up using it or not, I think the, the most bizarre one was a Daniel Cabrera that we saw. About. Well, we may we may be seeing that between now and next Sunday. <laughs> anyway. You know, some, something tells me he would be a pretty decent fit for this team yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, you changed the name Helixson yeah, or Miley yeah. to Cabrera. Um, have you been, uh, you, you also got, and I'm, I, I won't, I promise we'll move to talking about the actual Orioles on the field, but you got a, a, a nice note from, uh, one of Elrod Hendricks' son about a week or 10 days ago, didn't you? I, I did. Uh, I had, uh, seen, uh, El, Elrod's granddaughter, uh, and I didn't know it was his granddaughter, but a little, a little girl wearing a Hendricks, uh, jersey. And uh, and her mother said, "Oh, this is Elrod's uh, uh, granddaughter." And then after I put it on, it was probably the most popular uh, jersey of the year. And uh, I got a nice note from uh, from Elrod's son thanking me for it, and that was very very nice. Yeah, it it really does. It uh, it makes the whole th- the whole endeavor well worthwhile. And ironically, about three four weeks before that, Rich, we had a grandchild. Of Joe Durham, the late Joe Durham's grandson was wearing oh, his, his grandfather's jersey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I know you uh, you saw it and you went down and then and talked to his grandson, and that was that was very nice yeah. too. And that also got yeah. a uh, a very very strong uh, well, reception. You know, you know, I'm a big believer in that, and I really saw that thing grow this year. Your first year in press box, a lot more people reaching out to you telling you that they'll bring a jersey or, uh, yeah, I've got a jersey. Uh, and as in the case of the dweep, the dweep, uh, dweep, 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 uh, from the Bobby Gritch wearer last night. I mean, people have really caught on to this thing and like it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. All right. It is fun. What hasn't been fun is, uh, I don't think overall this has been a fun season for the folks like you that have to be there almost every day. Uh, but did you see the three and sixteen coming? No, no. Uh, three and thirteen. Um, I'm sorry, three and thirteen coming. No, I you know, uh, you know, you, I didn't. You know, I didn't see it coming. Uh, I thought that they'd be a, a little more competitive. I, I thought that they were so far behind that they had put themselves so far behind. Uh, you know, in the two months from mid-May to mid-July, that there was too much ground to make up. And you know, they they made it interesting. They made August. Uh, a very interesting month to watch and uh hope was that maybe uh in september with the expanded roster things would be uh things would be better uh and that they would be competitive 
and it hasn't, you know, obviously hasn't turned out that way, and it's been a, a pretty, uh, you know, it's been a not interesting uh, September to watch. But, you know, it's funny, a lot, of, a lot of times the starting pitching has been okay. It wasn't the case last night, but there have been a number of times when the starting pitching hasn't been bad, but, you know, uh, in 15 of, uh, of the 21 games this month, the Orioles have scored three runs or less. So you're not going to win a lot of games that way. Let me ask you a question, and I'm not a, I'm not specifically asking if the Orioles are going to re-up and, and and honor the option with Wade Miley at twelve million. Well, they're not. That, okay, but but Wade Miley's not going to be offered twelve million by anybody else. Do you think there still could be a dialogue about him taking, say, se- seven and a half, and but, with okay. an option for next year or something like that? Well, what hap- But that would have to be that would have to be down the road because they would decline the option, right? And then he would go and he would go. And he would be a free agent, free agent market. Right. But some something like that would be to me a January or February move, and I think that they will already have. Uh, I think that they will already have replacements uh, in mind. Uh, by the time that might happen, let me ask uh, you because me, I think if there, I think if the, I this, I think this scenario that you're outlining uh, would be only if he had, you know, he had little interest in the free agent, well, uh, in the I, free agent market, and I think that they they have to move. They're going to have to move uh, with pitching much more decisively than they have in the past for other, you know, other positions because. There's not a lot of great pitching out there, and you know they can't. Or they're they're not going to be able to, you know, wait on the market right. as they have in the past. Right. For, you know, they could do that for other positions, but not not for pitching or catching. So let me ask you a question. This is the, to me, this is the sixty four thousand dollar question about any pitcher worth his salt. Let's say you're Alex Cobb. Okay, now forget the person, Alex Cobb. I don't know who his agent is. But if you've watched how the Orioles, under Peter Angelos, treat signing pitchers, do you even allow your pitcher to get in the discussion with the Baltimore Orioles, or do you let them get in the discussion, but you're very cognizant of the fact that at the end game, you're going to switch off to another team whose who's, uh, physicals aren't quite as demanding? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've heard... I've heard there's been so much talk about the physicals being so demanding, and uh, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. Uh, the, the time when the most recent time when it came into play with Giovanni Gallardo, well, that physical saved them a whole lot of money, right? Uh, and but how about the time? How about the time? How about the time before that with Grant Balfour? Balfour's career, and I'm not saying I'm not saying they didn't save money and weren't right. I'm asking the question: If you're the agent, what was Balfour worth after the Orioles jettisoned him? He was worth nothing. Well, he ended up signing, but he Stanley signed with Tampa, a two-year a two-year contract right. with Tampa Bay, right. and he didn't even make it through half the season. So, uh, I, but you realize that every single player the Orioles have has gone through. That kind of physical. So, you know, and and if a small number, and the Orioles aren't the only team that fails people. I think that the perception is is one from many years ago, uh, 
And, you know, there are other problems with with pitching in Baltimore. One of them is that it's a hitter-friendly ballpark. Right. And unless you give a pitcher, let's say, a three- or four-year contract, uh, you know, if you give somebody a one-year platform deal, they're not going to be real eager to pitch in Baltimore. Correct. Because of, uh, because of the, you know, because of the stats. So, uh, so your of, answer to my question, I know it was a long-winded question, if you're Alex Cobb's agent, you're all in on talking to the Orioles and being... Sure. Okay. You're talking to anybody. Okay. You're in, to, in on talking to anybody. Okay. But I think it's going to be hard to sign guys. You know, I think it's going to be hard to sign guys, and they may have to over... You know, they may have to overpay, but they don't have... You know, great. They don't have great options to say, okay, we're going to go in with Bundy and Gosman, and then, oh, let's look at Miguel Castro and let's look at uh, Gabriel Inoa again. Uh, I mean, that's all. That's all fine. But you want to go there? You want to go into spring training with eight? You know, with eight starters for five positions. Realistically, what do you think the chances are, Rich, of them actually going out and being proactive? And and signing a pitcher or two for this starting rotation that on the surface you look at their numbers coming in and you say Those this, are improvements. This, these are improvements. This is not going to be a bad thing for this club. As opposed to what we've gotten with right. I mean, I think you know what you know you, you know what Abaldo's been about all through his career, and certainly the questions with Wade Miley coming here. Right, but I think that, but I think the kind of guys like, as that uh, that they look at would be Alex Cobb, as Dad mentioned. People like Lance Lynn, uh, you know, Jason, you know, Jason Vargas, mm-hmm. that sort of type. I, I can't see them going out and spending huge money on, uh, let's say, you Darvish. Uh, but I, I think that certainly, if you have a pitcher like Var, you know, Vargas or Lynn. Uh, and they're not going to go after Jake Arrieta. Uh, th- then I think that those would certainly, you know, could certainly be improvements over what they've had here. You know, Miley coming into the, you know, I talked to scouts uh, when the Red Sox got Miley, who I was pretty unfamiliar with because he pitched for Arizona, and they were all excited. They thought, oh, this guy is going to be great for the Red Sox, and it turned out. That you know that he wasn't, uh, and he, he struggled in, with three American League clubs. So, I, I think that uh, I, I think that you know the second tier starters that are out there, if they're able to sign one or two of them, would be an improvement over you know over what they have in the back end of the rotation. We're talking to Rich Dubroff, uh, covers the Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. We've got him for about four or five more minutes. Uh, Correct. Well, if you do that and they're successful in doing that, then you can find out whether Castro can fit in somewhere in the rotation. You can take another deeper look at Gabriel Yanoa. Uh, and and you know, I've even heard Mike Wright's name, but I'm I'm to me, Mike Wright Well, Mike Wright has to be Mike Wright has to be considered because he's out of options. Right, he's out of options, but right now I would be considering him just from what I've seen over the last couple of times he's pitched you know i think he might fit in in the bullpen better than he would in the starting rotation right but the need the need as buck showalter has pointed out so many times the need is in starting rotate and mm-hmm. starting rotation yeah. 
and you can always put them in the ball. You can always put them in the bullpen. Uh, the need right now, you know, the bullpen, depending on whether Britain is, is back or not next year, uh, the bullpen still looks pretty deep, even if you extracted Castro from it. Yeah. So uh, let me let me ask you a question about Zach Britton. Number one, and most importantly, is how serious is this knee injury of his, and does it diminish his potential trade value this off season? Yeah, of course it. Um, of course it. Uh, uh, the uh, the trade value is, is diminished with uh, with Britain. Uh, you know, uh, because there are concerns. There were concerns about the arm in July. And, you know, there were teams that, uh, that apparently knew about, uh, the, you know, knew about the knee issue. Not all of them. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, his performance itself wasn't bad in, you know, a little under half a season this year. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as great as we've seen from Britain. So his value would be down, you know, would be down anyway. And the Orioles are going to have a very, very um, difficult decision to make. You know, non-tendering them would be, to me, unthinkable. Right. But, but you know, signing him for fourteen or fifteen million, which is you know what's going to ha- what would happen in uh, in arbitration. Uh, well, they may not want to pay fourteen or fifteen million dollars for uh, you know a, a starter, and, and you could ma- you could maybe trade him and get another. Uh, you know, another starter or a prospect. Certainly what, you know, what people thought that they would get for him at the trading deadline, uh, it'll be less now. Let me just and, ask you. you know, me, and, the, and the Orioles would take a big public relations hit for it. Let me just ask you, but though. They're in, a, they're in a tough position with them. Let me just ask you a question, though, about arbitration. It, it, I, I get where this is going, but he made how much this year? $11 million this year? Yeah, a little over 11 yeah. Doesn't arbitration take into account that the player was less was less of a no, player, no. And, and that that the possibility of him getting back to that point is not that great because of current injuries? Not necessarily. Okay. No, they, they, it, it, it's pretty mathemat. It's pretty it's, mathematical. It's it's an open and, and, and shut and, case and, and, almost. And they never, you know, and they wouldn't. You know, Caleb Joseph still got a raise. After he had zero RBIs, right. So after that's the kind of world I want to live in. Well, (laughs) but that's that's the world. That's the I I understand it. That's the world of the sport we cover. Yeah, yeah. you know. Okay, is it a victory if he gets thirteen million dollars in arbitration instead? They're not going to cut Stan. They're not going to cut him. No, I understand that. He's not going backwards. He's not going backwards. But you use the you use that term fifteen million. And it's really hard to see it being quite that high, fifteen. Well, I see uh, it at fourteen. Dan, I guess we'll, uh, we'll, I guess we'll find out, won't we? Yes, we probably most likely will. Uh, we're talking with Rich Dubroff. Just a question, one more question from you, Craig. Well, Host. from an offensive standpoint, I think we've seen a lot of why, and yes, it's been the pitching as the main culprit, but offensively, during this uh, losing thirteen of sixteen games. Uh, the three runs or less stat that you brought up. I mean, guys who are normally guys who you would expect to hit have not hit. Uh, I'm I'm seeing some better signs out of Chris Davis here as we go down the stretch, but Mark Trumbo seems about as lost as I've ever seen him. 
Yeah, and and I think that uh, he he does, and it was a you know Trumbo unlike David. Tr- you know, people sometimes group the two of them together, and it's a mistake because people get on Davis a lot more yeah. seemingly than Trumbo. But Davis is a better hitter than than Trumbo. He's a much more disciplined hitter. If you look at their on base percentage. Um, Davis is uh, way, you know, David. Davis walks a lot more than Trump. Davis is twenty-five to thirty points better uh, offensively yeah. on on base right. percentage. And, and, yeah. and you know, with Trump, Trumbo, and also Davis, you know, I, I know he's had a bad couple of weeks in the field, but Davis is a much better fielder. Trumbo is a, is a liability in the outfield, right. so they they shouldn't be grouped together. But with with Trumbo, you know, it's basically home run or nothing. Right. Let, let me ask one last question, and we, we really will have to run, and we really appreciate it, Rich. You've been a, a gentleman all season long coming on. Um, Austin Hayes, what do you see, and have you talked to any baseball people uh, about him and what his skill sets are? They seem pretty apparent to me that this guy is really going to be a fine baseball player. Well, you know, in talking to people around the game, they're very impressed with him. Because you know he wasn't necessarily a high, uh, you know, a, a higher echelon prospect. I mean, the Orioles got him in the third round in in 2016. He didn't come from a, you know, an elite baseball program in Jacksonville. So he uh, he's really imp- you know he's really impressed. You know, what's interesting is when you see him walking around, he's not very big. You know, he doesn't look like a, you know, he doesn't look like a slugger, but uh, he. Everybody seems to be impressed with you know his maturity and with how uh, you know that he doesn't seem to have a lot of a lot of weaknesses right now. It's going to be interesting, of course, once he's exposed in the major leagues for a while. Uh, well, it's going to certainly how- it's going to certainly be an interesting off season. About fifty million dollars coming off the books. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about. That's for sure. All right. Yes, we certainly will. All right, Rich. Thank you. Enjoy the f- remainder of the season. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. There you have it. Rich Dubroff of Pressbox, PressboxOnline.com. That is one thing as we hit the head to break uh, before we're joined by Ed Wheatley. But a lot of money coming off the Orioles' books. Yeah, a lot of money, and uh, they'll be happy to have it. Now it's a matter of what they do with it. Well, and certainly, well, a good chunk of it's going to go to the likes of Manny Machado, Kevin Gosman, Dylan Bundy, and Jonathan Scope. Well, yeah, and Zach Britton. Uh, yeah, but you're also you're also uh, a year away from that having to happen. You're two years away from Scope having to happen, right? Uh, but nonetheless, you got to figure out about the core of this team and exactly where you feel it is right now as you head forward. But you have to take some of that money, Stan and try to fix this pitching staff. There's no question about it. All right. That's Craig Heist. We'll be right back on the other side of these words. We'll be joined by Ed Wheatley, one of the authors of The Story of a Beloved Team, the St. Louis Browns. 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A Hash Brown Scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your Hash Brown Scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today and tell Steve I sent you. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard and I called the dealership and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto and I called them and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car so they actually went to the dealership and got it and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it and it's actually really nice. Something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS. 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays. <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, stand the fan chart. Make suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Stand the fan back on the bat around here at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or if you'd like to watch us, you can go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports 
And be sure to like us and share us when you arrive. Stan the Fan along with Craig Heiss joining us now is somebody I've gotten to know through one of the investors, original investors in Press Box, a lifelong uh, St. Louis Browns slash Baltimore Orioles fan. That's Barry Blank, but he's introduced me to Ed Wheatley. And Ed, welcome on to the show, the bat around. Thank you, bud. Yeah, glad to be here. All right, that's super. You guys um, are part of the group. Uh, what are they? The are, what is your organization called that still supports the Browns and keeps them alive? Yeah, it's, it's really called the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, but we're also known as the St. Louis Browns Fan Club. But the official name is the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, which was formed in 1984 by Bill Borst. And how many people are part of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society? Is it 575? Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, just a, a under 500. It you know, fluctuates with new members. Uh, we're receiving a lot of new members with, with the... Uh, release of our new book uh, so we've made a lot of uh, inroads but it, it, it's averages somewhere 450 to 500 you know unfortunately some of the, the guys and who, who belong to it are older and you know, they die off and we got to bring in new members yep i was just going to ask you about the age of the folks that are are part of the uh society and that's uh because i mean let's face it the, the browns moved here in 1954 and uh yeah. i was just wondering from that standpoint what the age group uh, generally is well, you know, when I go around and give my talks, I always give the kind of tagline that, you know, anybody who was alive when the Browns <laughs> were in St. Louis next year will be carrying Medicare cards, and anybody who has a memory of going to the game is going to be in their 70s. But our, our fan club, you know, really, there's only 14 living Browns left, uh, and the youngest is 84. Our fan club, you know, is a lot, was at one time a lot of people in their 60s and 70s and 80s. But what we're finding is, is a new uh, rejuvenation, and that's why we kind of wrote this book to, to reach out, because what we found is all these people saying, you know, the Browns were my dad's favorite team. The Browns were my grandpa's favorite team, and that's all he's talked about. And these people, they know about the Browns as a name, but they really don't know their history, and that's what we, we tried to do. Myself and two other members of the Browns fan club, Bill Borst, who I mentioned before, uh, formed the club, and then Bill Rogers, uh, we put together this history with Bob Costas doing our forward and working with us. Bob's been a member of our fan club as well. Uh, just to take people back and to remember there was this team 52 years in St. Louis, you know, with some great players, some great history. And, you know, some sometimes they weren't so good, too. We're talking with Ed Wheatley. He and Bill Borst and Bill Rogers have written a book called The Story of a Beloved Team, the St. Louis Browns. Craig Heiss got a question for you. Yeah, Ed, let me ask you this, and, and we've seen this down through the years when franchises move. What was the general uh, perception or the general reaction, I guess is a better word, the reaction from the Browns fans, when they knew the team was moving from St. Louis to Baltimore? Well, I mean, and there's still a lot of resentment today, I will tell you that, you know, 64 years later. But what it was was it was kind of a mixed. I mean, the, the Browns and the Cardinals, you know, just like the Philadelphia Athletics and the Philadelphia Phillies and the Boston Braves, Boston Braves, you know, there was always this competition, you know, which team would own the city. You know, a lot of cities weren't big enough. And, you know, in the first two decades, the Browns were the better team. And part of the 
story in inside the story here is how the Cardinals, you know, and Branch Ricky moved from the Browns to the Cardinals and built a farm system and built a great Cardinal team to the twenties, thirties, and forties. And you know, they became kind of the sweethearts. So the the tide shifted from the Browns to, to the Cardinals, but there was this underlying loyalty. Stan Musial even talks about in the '44 World Series where the Browns and Cardinals played each other. He said, "We, the Cardinals, we've been to the World Series how many times prior?" The 44, we were the underdogs. The city was rooting for the Browns. But what really kind of happened was the Cardinals hit a slide in the late 40s and 50s with their ownership. Fred Sy was involved with a tax evasion issue with the federal government, potential jail. The Cardinals also didn't own a stadium. The Browns had always owned Sportsman's Park, and the Cardinals were their tenants. And Bill Veck came to town and you know was looking at this opportunity to run the Cardinals out of town. And, you know, he didn't have good players because the Browns always need money. A lot of times they sold off the better players. So there was this kind of two-year tussle to see who could control as the Cardinals were in trouble. Zach thought he could pull this. He didn't, um, you know, have the best team in the field to draw a fan, so he did his kind of circus act with a three-foot, seven-inch pinch hitter, grandstand manager night, and a lot of other antics. And I think that's what soured a lot of taste of people to the Browns, and what's what they unfortunately remembered today, and it's what forced the rest of the American League ownership to force them to sell. I mean, they don't remember George Sisler, the great teams of the 1920s the Browns fielded and battled with the Yankees Is every it, year. Yeah. You know, the, the tremendous outfield, you know, the, the Browns in the 20s, for five straight years, the same players in the outfield, Kenny Williams, Baby Dow Jacobson, and Johnny Tobin, the only team to ever have five straight guys, I mean, three straight guys, five straight years hit over 300. And they would have done it at six, except Johnny Tobin hit 299 the one year. I mean, they have an outfield that, I mean, a, a, a team that three men hit over 200 hits on the team, not once, but two times consecutively. I mean, there's a lot of history. And people don't remember that. They remember the shenanigans of Bill Vack. And I think that's where the sour taste is. And, yeah. Um, that's how it's remembered. So we're just trying to remember and go back to some of the great times. That, you know, the 15 men who were associated with the Browns that are in the in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Correct so me. There's if, a lot of history. Correct me if I'm wrong, but later on, then uh, after the 20s was over, and I, I'm assuming that was pretty much the heyday. Uh, but the, the the team was in a stretch where they struggled. 64 and a half games out of first place. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you like that? I'm going to the ball game. And, and, they, think, and they think we've got problems here in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. 64 and a half games out of first place in a 154-game in, in season. Or, wow. You know, how do you feel like uh, the, the time when uh, uh, Ned Garver, he won 20 games on a team that lost 100? You know, so what do you think? Oh, who's that's, pitching day? It's not Ned Garber. You think we're going to win? That's like Carlton in 72 with the Phillies. They win 54 I, games, I, and he wins 27 of them. I lived in Atlantic City and got to see about 10 of those games. He was unbelievable. We're talking with Ed Wheatley. He's co-authored a book, The Story of a Beloved Team, the St. Louis Browns. Go ahead. You were saying, Ed. Well, you know, I think that's, that's the thing. The Browns were always looking for money. They would get good players, and they would have to trade them to get money. Yeah, they were always you know, underfinanced. Yep, they were underfinanced. They had a lot of ownership changes. One of the Philip Ball was one of the, the the best best owners. He went through that ride through the great teams of the twenties. He died suddenly. The team was kind of put in a holding probate. A bunch of lawyers ran the team. They didn't know how to make good decisions. 
So, um, so they, how many years you know, did how many years did Bill Veck own the team? Would he come there in about forty eight? No, well, no, in forty eight he was with the Indians, the Indians won, right? You know, the American League. He came over, you know, at the end of fifty one. So you 51. know, he was only a couple of years. Um, the team, you know, like I said, had a whole slew of of owners. Uh, actually, Bill DeWitt Senior, the father of Bill DeWitt Junior, mm-hmm. and of of the Cardinals. His father had been uh, general manager and executive with the Browns for, for many years. He actually bought it in the late 40s. And, um, again, looking for that turnaround, who could come in. And, you know, Bill Veck thought he could run the Cardinals out. And uh, Yeah, he ended up. Anheuser-Busch, Augie Bush came in and said, no, you're not. I got an idea that beer sells in sports venues, and he wanted to. Uh, Wanted the stadium, and he wanted the team, and you know he tried to name Sportsman's Park Budweiser Stadium, but the major leagues would not let him. You know something that today yeah would go yeah they would rush to do that. How much right. money did Bill Vex sell the Browns to Baltimore interest for? Um, it it I let's see if I have it right here. I can't remember the exact number, but I'll. I don't know if I have it right in here, but uh, five hundred thousand know, dollars or a million dollars? No, it was just around a million dollars. I mean, actually, he agreed to sell eighty percent to Clarence Miles for two point four five million. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, he the, sold it, the consortium that Clarence Miles uh, had put together. Uh, the 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 members of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, age wise. Mm-hmm. Are most of the 500 people that are in it, or 400 of the 500, have they actually, did they actually see the Browns play, or is it a mixed bag of people that have just kind of fallen in love with the history of the team? I think it's a mixed bag. There were, you know, we, I would say probably a third watched the Browns play. We had a book event the other night, a big author series. We had over 250 people the first night. And, you know, I asked the question how many had seen the Browns play. And I'd say, you know, it's about a third. Mm-hmm. And then I would say it's about well over a third to a half that are, you know, people whose fathers right. um, and grandfathers. And they, so they were understanding the message. And then the others are what are called baseball purists. You know, okay. We're talking when with... you go to these things, it's like the Antiques Roadshow. All these people coming yeah. and say, can you look at this and tell me this? I mean, scorecards, autographed baseballs. Who are these guys on this ball? Help mm-hmm. me. Fascinating. So, I mean, there's a lot of culture and a lot of pride in St. Louis about the Browns, but not a very good memory. Is is there a kind of a little bit of a push to try to have the Orioles incorporate some of the history because the Browns, because the Orioles came from St. Louis? That's right. You know, I mean, I always kind of look at the, the the contrast. I'll call it. And, and I, I had given a little talk. Saber asked me to talk at a conference on it. You know, when you look at the Atlanta Braves. You know, they came to via Milwaukee and Boston. And, you know, they look at records of, of Henry Aaron. You know, it's not just, let's say, 100 from Atlanta. They, it's Milwaukee and it's Atlanta. You know, Warren mm-hmm. Spahn goes to Milwaukee and Boston. And, the, you know, the Oakland Athletics, you know, they count all those Connie Mack World Series back in, in Philadelphia. And when it comes to the, to the Browns, you know, if you look at, the, let's say, pull a baseball reference and you look at the top ten categories, <coughs> offense, our pitching of the combined uh, franchise, and got to remember, this team did not originate in St. Louis. When the American League was formed in 1901, it originally was in Milwaukee as the Milwaukee Brewers, 
and then moved to St. Louis in 1902. So this franchise that's in Baltimore really goes back three cities. But, you know, there's a heavy predominance, about 40% of the top individual performances are by Browns players in this franchise history. I mean, you know, how many people would say, hey, of this combined franchise, who's the top base dealer? I mean, would anybody recognize George Siffler as the leading base dealer in the franchise? I'd know the name. I wouldn't know. Yeah, wouldn't have guessed that. Stolen yeah. bases, yeah. yeah. So uh, there, there you go. You got a trivia night question. <laughs> right. uh, Ed, uh, one of the things I read about the book, uh, of course, is Bill Veck uh, was trying a lot of different gimmicks. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about his signing Satchel Page to come in and pitch for the Browns? How long was was that? Was the process uh, that where Page was a member of the team? He was a member of two years, and he actually was their All Star there, um, representing the Browns in the All Star game. Vec had had uh, Satchel Page in Cleveland, right, and was part of that '48 uh, team that went to the World Series, and he, he pitched. He pitched well. For Cleveland, I mean, you know, and when he came to St. Louis, he, he pitched well, too. I mean, you know, he was in his late 40s. Uh, again, it was kind of a looking for somebody he knew. Satchel wanted to get back into major leagues because of the year before, he was just kind of doing his barnstorming tour, and he, he came and pitched, and it was also another opportunity for, I, I kind of call that the P.T. Barnum of baseball in, in the book because of the shenanigans he would pull. And, like, he had a hammock put out in the uh, bullpen that everybody could see that Satchel would just sit in and lay in, you know, or sometimes he would, it would be a recliner. And, I mean, that's the kind of things. But, no, the Satchel actually did very well with, with the Browns in his limited performances, you know, started a few games, mainly a reliever. But, you know, Satchel was still Satchel, and uh, he could hit the marks, but, you know, his arm, you know, any old 40-year-old guy, uh, he, he was better than most. The book is The Story of a Beloved Team, the St. Louis Browns, written, co-authored by Bill Bortz, Bill Rogers, and our guest, Ed Wheatley. Uh, Ed, I've got one last question for you. Sure. Uh, the, team, sure. the team moves after the 53 season. How old are you, and how old are Bill Bortz and Bill Rogers, and how did the St. Louis Browns Historical Society uh, get together? How did it get formed? How soon... After the move. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm 64, Bill Boris is 74, and Bill Rogers is 80. Okay. Um, I grew up in baseball. My, you know, Dad was, had played professional baseball. I knew a lot of the Browns growing up because a lot of them stayed in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. and when you look at, you know, not many stayed on the team when they got to Baltimore. The, 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 the team really, I mean, the, the historical side kind of formed uh, Bill Borst in 1984. He was uh, he's from Brooklyn. He loved Pee Wee Reese. He went to uh, Pee, -wee, Pee Wee Reese's induction into the Hall of Fame up in Cooperstown, and what he saw was a a, a Brooklyn Hall of Fame a fan club. I mean, and he kind of said, "Why isn't there a Browns fan club?" I mean, you know, Brooklyn's been gone, you know, for for almost twenty something years but they're still a fan club. And, you know, and the, the Athletics had a fan club in Philadelphia and the Braves in Boston. A lot of those have all kind of weathered out, I guess I would say. But he kind of put together and was started as a small group. And, you know, over the next decades, it continued to grow. We have an annual lunch. We have one Tuesday. 
where we will have Ed Mickelson. And, you know, very few. Here's another trivia question. Everybody remembers Don Larson as the perfect game pitcher in 1956. Don Larson started with the St. Louis Browns. He was a rookie mm-hmm. in 1953 and then, you know, moved there to Baltimore and was part of the Bob Turley, Don Larson trade to the Yankees. But, but Don will be there, and we had two of our great players, Ned Garver, who I spoke of a moment ago, and Roy Seavers, a St. Louis boy who was the 1949 Rookie of the Year in the American League. You know, I grew up, I was born in 52 in Washington, D.C., and Roy yeah. Seavers was my favorite player on the Senators. Yeah. You and Richard Nixon, right? Yep. Get, when, yep. when Roy passed away, there in his living room was the big picture, you know, signed to my favorite baseball player of all time, Richard Nixon. Stan and, Nick, Herzog. Stan and Nixon were really good friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was yes. really good friends. You know, you yeah, can Whitey see. Whitey Herzog is going to do, I got Whitey doing a tribute to both Ned and Roy. Yeah. Because Whitey. Whitey was a teammate of Roy's, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he, Whitey played with, with Ned on the um, t- uh, Kansas City Athletics, and then he played with with Roy on the senator, so it was fitting that he do a tribute at our luncheon. But you know, you know, we have this annual luncheon. You know, you can always see uh, Roy Seavers if you watch the movie Damn Yankees. Joe Hardy, when they would show Joe Hardy from a distance, it was Roy Seavers playing with the senator. That's right. Yeah. All right, Ed, we really appreciate your being on with us. We're going to have you on back sometime in November. We'll help push okay. the book. We'll help push the book a little for Christmas sales. Uh, how's the sales going? We only got about thirty seconds. Sales are going great. I mean, you know, we're getting you know just people calling. We've been on television here in the local area. The Cardinals have hosted us at some of their events due to the Dewitts, and the Dewitts helped us very much. Right. Uh, the ownership. That's and great. They're going great. great. It's a great book, and I hope you appreciate it. How do people get? The, can they get the book? The book is available. At any online outlet, you know, Amazon, Google Books, Target, you know, anything you go online, you just pull it up the name of the team. I mean, the book. The story of a beloved team. Yep. And Barnes & Noble has it. You know, most of the big box bookstores have it as well. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Thank Ed you, guys. Wheatley. All Talk right. Later. There you have it. Ed Wheatley. Interesting. book. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, I'd forgotten kind of, you know, the whole... God, you know, you forget the quality of players that were on that team, well, Sisler yeah. and Hornsby. Yeah, know. yeah, and you know what? It's it's funny. I kind of equated a little bit to the Negro Leagues too, because you forget how many players of quality were part of the Negro Leagues. And no question about when, it. And when you go back there, it's it's interesting too that uh, for as long as I've been an Orioles fan, and that's since I was able to walk. The one thing I've never really paid cared, much attention paid much to is atten- where they came from. Where they came from, yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. I wonder, you know, it's interesting that Baltimore's two sports franchises, they inherited both of them from another city. Mm-hmm. They moved from another city. They were both named the Browns, and I wonder if there was ever a thought, because the name Baltimore Browns is not a bad name. No, it's not a bad name. No, no. it's not. I mean, no. the Browns is a kind of cool name. What Cleveland's done with it with their logo with the lack of a logo, though, is pretty bizarre, in my opinion. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think they always had that when they were. Yeah, I'm just saying guys. that the, yeah, it's very bizarre not to have a logo. I don't know. I, I like the old. I like the old NFL look for the Browns. Yeah, do you? Yep, always have. I'm not a big fan. And of and, and I'll tell you what, I'm also a fan of is now yeah. that the Rams are back in really? L.A. Yeah, 
they have gone back to except for when they play on Thursday night and they use those stupid color rush uniforms every team has to right, wear. Right. They've gone back to white helmets. They've gone back to the white helmets with the blue That's uh, what they horns. used to yeah, have. That's right? what they used to have, right, right exactly. Right. When they were in LA. So it was interesting. The other night they were wearing that rush uniform that uh, and it was, was very gold and yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not attractive. What what's the point of the color rush uniforms? Like what is is there a meaning behind it's it? It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick that, that that makes you it gives the it, it gives the perception that people are ooh we're gonna go watch the game because it's color rush you know it's like a little panache that they think will attract viewership which clearly it doesn't or more people would watch the games because yeah. so, normally the Thursday night games except for the last one yeah are, are pretty awful to yeah. be honest that with was me. an interesting game yes it was I of course had the Rams minus two and a half of course and that was a really nice kick return by that guy with about four and a half minutes to go well, I could tell you an over under story if you're watching nah, Nick, that's all right. if you're if that's... you're if you're watching Nick Triantavolos <laughs> oh did he have the over under on that game oh my god yeah, I'm, I'm sure one thing he, he Nick, had the under Nick, <laughs> Nick is Nick is on the right side of good food, but yeah, the yeah. Wrong, wrong side of point spreads. <laughs> oh boy! Okay. Um, we're, by the way, where are you planning to watch tomorrow's game? Are you going to watch the Raven game at nine thirty a.m.? I will catch the very beginning of it at then home. Then, yeah, then, and then I'm you'll going leave at halftime, right? And I'm I live I live in oh. Howard County, right? In the Laurel section of Howard County, right? And it's the poorer section. Well, well, no. Laurel encompasses three counties: PG, Anne Arundel, okay. and now in Anne Arundel and Howard I County. I did not know that. that in Laurel. Anne Arundel and Howard County, you get the Baltimore market as well as the DC market okay. on your cable system. So while you're able to watch the game on Channel 13 here in Baltimore, right. you won't be able to get it on Channel 9 in Washington. Really? Yes. Even though it's not up against any other games? Nope. Nope. Okay. They're, not, they're not showing it. In the, uh, you can but get you it. But you will see it at your home. I will see it, yeah. But, I mean, I'm also going to Camden Yards for right. Buck's final home uh, press conference before the game, try to talk to a few players, and then I will be leaving to go to uh, the Redskins game tomorrow night against the Oakland Raiders. Okay. Okay. So we will uh, we will take it from there, and then uh, it's it's a long day. But uh, what I don't get to see of it at home, I will get to see it uh, probably at the ballpark because I'm sure they'll have it on there. All do, right. do you like the idea of having the NFL games in London? No, I don't at all. I I really don't. I'll tell you what I think the worst thing about it is. I'll bet you if you talk to doctors. The idea of having 40 or 50 guys that big, that overweight, sitting for five and a half to six hours on an airplane or seven hours is not a real healthy thing. Well, you and I have traveled cross-country before, <laughs> so that's not a We're problem. not some of us 75 to 125 pounds I, I get obe- you. morbidly but, but you know obese. What? And from yeah. a football standpoint. I am morbidly obese. From a football standpoint, uh, the Jaguars have played over there now three straight years, and this is a situation where I think it may play into their hands just a little bit right. against the Ravens on Sunday. So we'll see how the Ravens react to the trip and, and just whether or not having played over there. And, and granted, the Jags had to go over and travel just like the Ravens, but 
having had the familiarity of playing over there the last few years, could be something that maybe plays into the game. All right, Stan the Fan and uh, Craig Heist, we're trying to make contact with our next guest, and we were supplied a phone number, and I'm trying to get word to him now via uh, email. I, I, I do have a question. Um, Glenn Clark did mention why not start the London games at 1 o'clock Eastern so it would be like a Sunday night game in London. What do you think about that? Uh, that is an excellent idea. I, you know, I think it uh, would lend to probably you know, uh, a little bit better with the body clock, if you will, uh, e- even though you've made the trip and you've lost the five hours going over there. Uh, you know, it, it may help the players with the body clock a little bit, but that would be a one o'clock start here. Would be a six o'clock start over there. So yeah, I can see the benefits to that for sure. Well, until you get to the fact of trying to come back and immediately regain normalcy for the Ravens, for example, and and this is one of the things I think is ridiculous. I almost think if you're going to have these cockamamie games in London, it should be forced that the two teams, the two participants in the game, do not play the next week. Well, and they've done that yeah. in the past. Well, they gave the Ravens the, the Ravens, options. And the Ravens did not want that yeah. option. And keep in mind, it's the Steelers that come to town the following week. So uh, that'll be something else to, to kind of take a look at in, in terms of how the Ravens react to the week after being over in London. And they got the Raiders after that. Yeah. So, it's a tough uh, couple and, and weeks. That's, and that's a trip to the West Coast. Right. So that's going to be a – that is a tough couple of weeks, and that's where the the uh, good start and the fast start at 2-0, and and hopefully you make it 3-0, and that's one of the things that probably benefits the Ravens. All right. We're going to try and catch up with Nick Kennedy of Million Dollar Arms Symposium. Uh, we're going to take our time out now, and we will be back on the other side of these messages. All right? Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto. And I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it and didn't charge me the extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yards. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press us. box. 
Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Looking for a challenge? Push yourself further. It begins when you enlist as a soldier in the U.S. Army. You'll be trained in one of more than 150 career fields and could even earn money for college if you qualify. To find out more, visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com. There's Strong and then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. Money for college, more than 150 career paths, up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. All right, we are back on the bat around for this Saturday morning. And uh, we're generally here from 10 to 12 in the morning on Saturday. Tomorrow, Sunday, uh, the Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard. And as far as I know, that show, Bonza, is on at 10 to 12 tomorrow going up against the uh, Ravens-Jacksonville game. It's a good competition, huh? Yeah, real good competition. But you can watch the Raven game, turn the sound down, because you never hear anything good there anyway, and turn on the sound fantasy and reality football show and get your team set up. Every now and then, a moment of truth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are having a problem connecting with Nick Kennedy, our, our supposed guest today. He's the founder of Million Dollar Arm. I think it's just going to end up being just as simply as I never identified we were on in Baltimore to him. I did to the PR guy, but I have a feeling he's exp- he's going to be at twelve oh five. He's going to be all pissed off that we're not calling. <laughs> so, so a lack of communication. Lack of communication, okay. and I like to. I'm always fond of saying we're in the communication business. Damn it! Uh, but uh, 
it looks like we're not going to have Nick Kennedy on, so we can talk about some other things. Um, I got a chance to see the Dodgers clinch last night Yep, when I got home uh, from the Oriole game and uh, watched the final two innings there. And you also got to see them for three games, the first three games in a way that meant something to them in about a month. And I'm not defending them or, or not criticizing them for a, a streak that saw them lose 15 of 16 or 16 of 17, but they closed well, 15 of 17. It was 15 of 17. Right, and but 11 got, in a row at one point. At one point. But you got to see them in two games that really mattered those first two games last weekend. Last weekend, and they won both games, and then the uh, Nationals took the Sunday night game right. uh, with Strasburg on the hill. But the, the thing that you can't really take too much stock in in that is because the first two games, if, if Dusty Baker, who had said all along that he really wanted to try to catch the Dodgers for home field in the playoffs, and that was still on the radar screen, uh, had – there really been a conscious effort to do that. You would have seen, you would have still seen Edwin Jackson in Game One, but you probably would have seen then uh, Strasburg and Gio Gonzalez in Games Two and Three, as opposed to just uh, Strasburg in the third game because they pitched AJ Cole in the Saturday game. So those were two games, and AJ Cole pitched pretty well in the middle of the game. It was a one-run game. Edwin got kind of lit up uh, in the first game of that series. Uh, but so I don't really think you can take much out of it, other than the fact that when they left D.C. after it looked like they'd written righted the ship a little bit, right, they, they went, went up they Philly. went up to Philadelphia and then they wind up losing four straight. So, uh, or or, that, or no, there were three out of four, three out of four. But there was uh, uh, you know a, where they went back uh, into a little mini losing streak. That was a bad that was a bad series for them. Yeah, bad series for them. And then uh, I think they went to New York as well. So, so my question my question about no they didn't go to New York. They went to Philly for four and they're back home and playing back home, the Giants. Okay. okay. And they won last night and clinched, which you saw that right. game. Uh, my question is when you lose when a team loses its mojo and there've been very few teams in the history of the game that had the mojo for like 90 games that mm-hmm. the Dodgers did. Do you think you can flick a switch and kind of turn it back on again? I don't think it in makes time. I don't think it makes any difference in terms of the postseason. Once the postseason bell rings, rings, it's a totally different animal. And I say the same thing about the Dodgers slide in the month of September, the same way I do as the 22 game winning streak with right. the Cleveland Indians. It's right. gonna, not gonna, not going to have any effect on the postseason. Good, good comments. I, I was going to say. People believe, you know, in teams peaking too early. People think the Indians peak too early, did, and then people think. Did anybody think, say he could talk? Well, yeah, but he's bringing up a good point. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Gosh, Dan, always putting me down, huh? No, but um, the Indians. People say, you know, they peaked too early, and now, I mean, they're still peaking. They've won what twenty seven out of twenty eight now, yeah. I think. Yeah, boy, that one game was a slump. <laughs> <laughs> but then the Dodgers, you know, maybe they're in this struggling stretch here of losing 20 out of 26 but maybe they'll peak at the right time in october like you saw with the royals when they won the world series and with the giants when they won back in 2014 both as wildcard teams yeah well you know and that's a good point but the other po- thing i think about with the dodgers is i'm not sold on you darvish i really no, am i'm not not, no, okay? not either so from that standpoint uh I'm not sold on you, Darvish, and obviously Clayton Kershaw is going to mean everything to them uh, going forward. 
uh, for the postseason or whatever they do. Uh, if, if they can get decent starting pitching, you know you always have the back end of that bullpen uh, with Kenley Jansen to close games down. But Dave Roberts, I think, has a little different issue with this club this year heading into the postseason as he had last year. We're talking with uh, Craig Heist. I'm Stan the Fan. The show is the bat around. And as I suspected, mm-hmm. our guest was expecting us to call him at 11.05 Central Time. Uh, so we did have a miscommunication. We'll work on figuring that out now. I wonder if we could call Latson now and do 15 minutes with Latson and see if we can get him on uh, at, at uh, like 11.40. You want to see real quick? I'll try my best. All right. Mm. We'll see what we can do. Just, just uh, wake him up or something. Yeah. You know. Wake Latson up. Wake Latson So up. first see if he can do 11.40 and we'll grab Latson real quick. All right. Uh, apologies to our viewers and listeners for that faux pas. Uh, again, Nationals, what do we know about uh, Bryce Harper and his condition? Harper back to hitting baseballs out of the ballpark and batting practice yesterday up at City Field. Opposite field, upper deck in the right field stands. Uh, he has been running the last few days and a pretty good clip. Uh, running without pain from what you hear? Running without pain from all yeah. indications that I get. And uh, from what I'm hearing... You'll probably see him in games uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, either third. either down in uh, uh, Philadelphia, okay, or when 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 that series begins on Monday, and then uh, they'll they'll wrap up the season, the regular season against the Pirates for four at home, okay, and uh, he may play in those I'm games. I'm sure I'm sure he'll be playing by then, okay. Uh, and again, well, I'd certainly if the Nats are to go down, I think I'd like. I mean, I know. If they go down, I want them to go down with the best team that they can put out. Well, I think so. But with Bryce Harper or without Bryce Harper, I contend, and I shared this last night with someone, I still think the biggest key to what they do offensively, especially in the postseason, is Trey Turner at the top of that lineup. I think he is the catalyst. I think he sets the table. How has he played since he's been back? He's been great. He's been been just what he was last year. Yeah, and I mean, you know. Uh, walks or doubles, you know, and and the speed is a killer. You can't teach that. And uh, he's playing lights-out defense for the Nationals. You know who I feel great for, and I really do, is Ryan Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. The year he's had to come back here and just staying healthy. Hit his 34th home run. He's driven in over 100. Uh, he's hitting right I, around. I had forgotten how good a player he was because he was never there. He's never there because he's hurt. And when, yeah. you're, when you're playing – a hundred games a year, uh, you know, on on every other year, uh, it, it kind of you, you do have that happen. You know, people forget just how good you are. But this is a guy who I said all along mm-hmm. uh, that if he was healthy for a whole year and could get about five hundred to five hundred and fifty at bats, you would see Ryan Zimmerman type numbers, and that's exactly what we've gotten, and even more yeah. this year. I mean, I don't think anybody expected. You know, him to go through the first half of the season and hit 330, 335 like he was doing. Uh, but I certainly thought you were going to get 25 to 30 home runs, close to 100 RBI, 90 to 100, uh, and, and let him hit somewhere around 280. Well, he's surpassed everything there. Uh, you know, and the only thing, the only knock you really have on Ryan Zimmerman's game is every now and then when he has to make a throw to second base, you know, can he avoid the base runner? Uh, can he get enough on to throw the, the the ground ball to first base where he has to come home with it? Is there going to be enough on that throw, that kind of thing? I mean, 
what what a lot of people fail and 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 re can't remember too much about this because that's so early in his career is what a great third baseman he was. Yeah, he was terrific. He terrific. Was terrific. I'm going to get in contact with Bill Latson right now. Okay. And and we'll still have Nick on? We'll get him at 1045 Central Time, 1145 okay. Eastern Perfect. Time. Perfect. Uh, and we're, we've run the break that we were going to run, right? Yeah, we still have one more. One more. Okay. Perfect. And uh, I, that's why I just thought, I, I, did, I think a lot of people forget. And so, when he came up, Stan, yeah. when he came up and you watched him in the field, just take infield, mm -hmm. go through his total routine, it was so Cal Ripken-esque. It, it, you know, you, well, you, it was probably somebody he grew up really uh, idolizing. Well, he did. Yeah. He did. He grew up an Orioles fan. Quick quick question. The Orioles have a M team MVP, and we know that Jonathan Scope was elected that. Mm -hmm. Do the Nationals have their media vote on an MVP? Yes, they do, and they have not announced that yet. But do you think it's him, or do you think it's Rendon, or do you think I it's Harper? I think it's Anthony Rendon. Okay. Okay. We've got Bill Latson. Joining us now is a friend of, a personal friend of mine, someone I'm proud to call a friend and of mine. And someone I can't stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, how are you? Are you there? We lost him, we too. We lost Bill. Must have been the insult. <laughs> anyway. Uh, want to get Bill? Want to get Bill on because he recently did. Uh, want to get Bill on? No, I want to get Bill on because he recently recently did a, a couple of podcasts that are pretty interesting about it uh, for MLB.com, and we'll let him tell you about it. Right? Uh, do we have him now? And now I can say it again, and with even more meaning. Here's a close personal friend of mine, Bill Latson. Bill, how are you? Doing great. How about how about you guys? Well, I followed it. Do you know Craig Heist? I followed it up by saying I followed it up by saying, "Well, I can't stand him personally." But <laughs> <laughs> hey, I gotta ask you something real quick before we get going into the Nationals, uh, because there was some news with Sean Kelly last night that's pretty disturbing. If you're forget the baseball end of it, you're, you're just disturbed because you want to make sure that he's healthy and there's no anything more serious than this but that's your podcast the last one uh that you did tell the tell the folks a little bit about uh, who you talked to and why well you know i talked to uh, number one tommy sam of, of the cardinals and he's like the mvp of the team this year and what's interesting about him is that uh he has this degenerative eye problem in his left eye and uh you know, he's having his best year. He, he's wearing the right contact lenses, and it's very interesting. And, uh, I mean, uh, let me tell you, man, it was really great talking to him. I spoke to uh, Manny Machado, and, you know, most of my conversation with him was about Jonathan Scope, who was his best friend. And who was, and just, who was just named the Oriole MVP. We were just talking a little bit about that. Correct. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he said he's so proud of him. He saw this coming. He talked about. He said that people doesn't, you know, don't realize how hard he worked during the off season. So uh, it was, it was great. And then my other guest was David Ross. Uh, I was glad I had him on because this guy is a Cubs hero and a Red Sox hero, and uh, you know, he, he's uh, he doesn't miss the game because he wants to be with his family. And it, it was great to talk to him. Sounds like you've been working overtime this past <laughs> week, Bill. <laughs> Well, I talked to, I've been talking to a lot of people lately, so uh, it's, it's helped. No question about it. How, what kind of response is the uh, Machado on scope uh, piece doing right now? 
Well, apparently he's doing well. Uh, you know, we've been picking up steam uh, lately, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people are are listening to the podcast, but we're getting our share right now. So everything's been going well. Well, I get I get calls at three in the morning. My phone will go off. It'll be a text at three in the morning. From, hey man, from hey, Lance, well, of course. And, hey man, my podcast is up, and you know, <laughs> then I have to go. Sh- then then I have to wake up. Have to get over to the computer, log on, and then share the podcast right away. Can't wait until nine in the morning. Got to do it right then. <laughs> and you know I'm yeah. teasing. Uh, I know. Uh, but you know what? You 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 also earlier talked to Adam Jones about a lot of different things, and uh, I would think that what happened to him up in Boston earlier this year was a topic of conversation. Well, um, actually, believe it or not, when I spoke to Adam Jones, I spoke to Adam Jones the day before it happened, before that incident happened in Boston. Oh, okay. And, and basically, uh, the conversation wasn't so much about baseball. It was talking about how much he wants to be a hero to, to black kids. And uh, he talked about how he came up and how people helped him become the player he is today. So it was really, really good. Uh, it was one of the best conversations I've ever had. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Uh, always a pleasure to have Bill on the show, and it's been really special, Bill, uh, getting to know you and to the point where you say, if Heist doesn't call me, you're you're always happy to do the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'd ever have a reason to call you, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, let me ask you something about Sean Kelly as the Nats now make this push toward the playoffs. Last night, uh, he comes out of the game against the Mets. Now, you, you lived, obviously, right near City Field, not too far Correct. from it. Were you at the game last night? I was not at the game, but I, I saw what happened. I heard what happened. And uh, i gotta, I got to tell you, though, what bothered me about this was that, to me, he had a similar injury during the postseason against the Dodgers last year, the last game, in fact, right. of the postseason. And... Uh, the injury, we got to have to face it, this injury is serious. Because last year he said it wasn't serious. It was serious. Well, he's it's scheduled, serious now. He's scheduled to see a doctor later today. And the right hand, uh, after he, he threw some pitches last night, I think it was like a 17-pitch inning. But when he finally came out of the game, he said he couldn't feel, he couldn't grip the ball, and he, couldn't have, he didn't have too much feeling in his fingers. And then later on in the clubhouse, his right hand was pretty visibly swollen. So yes. they're trying to figure out what's causing this. And uh, this, to me, is probably something that ends his season, I would think. There's no question. I mean, I, I think even if he was healthy, Craig, he wasn't going to make the postseason anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I just think he's been hurt all along from day one based on what, what happened last year. And, uh, you know, you just wish that he would have done something earlier to fix the problem. He, he's had this problem, I think, since last year. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because this is a guy that – you may not be able to use more than two innings uh, and not pitch him back-to-back, but here's a guy that can be an effective pitcher if he's healthy. And right now, obviously, when your ERA is in the mid-sevens and you've struggled uh, when you have had the chance to pitch this year, you can tell he's not healthy. Correct, correct. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know Sean Kelly has said he's been okay. 
but I just think he was never okay from the from the very beginning. So uh, hopefully he'll find out what the problem is, and we'll just take it from there. Hey, Bill, one other uh, topic to talk about the Nationals. Clearly, they're postseason bound. Uh, is their managerial situation, and I bring it up because it looks like it, we know now that Detroit's job's going to be open. Not a particularly attractive job for Dusty Baker. The Mets no. job most likely is going to be open. I don't think that's a particularly uh, a great spot. But there is talk that the Atlanta opening could be there, and I think that would be an interesting spot for Dusty. But yet, I still think he's going to end up being the Nationals manager, unlike Jim Riggleman, whom I thought Mike Rizzo was unsure whether he really wanted him back. I think Mike Rizzo wants Dusty Baker back. It's just simply the time, the the process that these owners go through in Washington. You know what? I, I'm going to say what I usually say regarding that situation. You have to wait and see. Yep. Because, uh, you know, you heard Dusty say he doesn't want to make the same money he's making now. Right. He wants to, he wants to raise. So, it, you know, you got to see them if the ownership is willing to do that, number right. one. And I, I don't, you know what, I think Dusty Baker has to win a championship yeah. to get retained. I really do. I think uh, if he's like first round and out or even get eliminated in the a- a- NLCS, I believe that I think he's going to be back. Okay. All right. I think he's back. I think, I think he's back provided they don't lose in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, and I wanted to move to that. It looks to me right now, and help me if I'm uh, if I'm stating this incorrectly, the Dodgers will still have the best record in the National League. Yeah. They will play Correct. the winner of the wild card matchup that looks to me more and more like it could be Arizona against St. Louis with the St. Louis as hot as they are. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm never going to underestimate the Diamondbacks. I think the Diamondbacks have outstanding pitching. And well, I in a one-game uh, series, if they map it out where Zach Granke's pitching, they've got a big advantage, don't they? Yes, they do. And then, you know, in game one, um, in the NLDS, I think you have to get, you know, Robbie Ray is, is, no, is not chop liver. He's really a good player. And I, I think they have enough pitching to really go far in the postseason. So I think, they, I think the Arizona Diamondbacks can beat the Dodgers. Okay. And, and yes, yeah, I think they could beat them. And uh, St. Louis Cardinals, yes, I mean, it, it looks like uh, the Colorado Rockies don't want to win it now. Yep. And it so, looks like uh, Milwaukee's going to fade just enough to allow St. Louis in, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, so, this week is a key week, that's for sure. So that leaves us with another National League, uh, you know, sort of quarterfinal or what a uh, uh, division series the Cubs and the Nationals. Uh, that's going to be a hell of a series, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I think it's going to depend on the Cubs pitchers because, you know, they got off to a slow start. Now they're pitching well. But you hope that uh, it can continue once the postseason starts. So, um, yes, I mean, the Cubs, I mean, I still think the Nationals can beat them. But then again, the Nationals have proven to me that, you know, they can choke in the postseason. So I could take a wait-and-see approach with that. Well, that's one of the reasons why I think that uh, the Nationals are just as happy being the two-seed in this thing. They'll have home field over the Cubs. 
Not that home field makes a big difference because we saw them lose to the Dodgers in Game 5 at Nats Park last year mm-hmm. in the Divisional Series. But And the Cardinals. And, and the Cardinals uh, back in 2012, yep. And, uh, you know, the other part about that, too, is without having the best record, was just that what you brought up was the, the possibility of facing Arizona if Arizona gets through that wild card game. Yeah, I think they can go far, Craig. I think they're really that good. I think they have enough hitting, obviously. I mean, J.D. Martinez has turned out to be a great acquisition Shoo, for them. And, uh, when I know, look up, hit. Bill, when I look up on the board and they're showing his stats with 55 RBIs and 20-some home runs, that's just with the Diamondbacks, right? Yes, just with the Diamondbacks. And he's going to be free agent. It comes at the right time for him. He's going to be a free agent, and uh, it's going to be interesting how you know the kind of contract he gets. He's going to get a good contract, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll say he's going to get a good you, contract. You know, you know, I love to throw this guy under the bus as yeah. often as I can. Yeah. Okay, that said, that's what you said before we got him. Said, exactly. Wait until I throw him under the bus. Exactly. One of the things, and I hear him laughing already. But he's he's up in New York, okay. And, and I'm getting these texts at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yankees keep winning. And the Red Sox are in Baltimore, right? Orioles giving the Yankees absolutely no help yeah, whatsoever. Right, exactly. You yeah. know, and he railed on me about the pitching staff, about the hitting. <laughs> you know, can't you do something about this? This is your fault. <laughs> hey, Bill, a couple of your compatriots, John Heyman with FanRag and John Morosi of Fox, They've come out and told the they got the inside story that the Orioles are looking for two starting pitchers. There's a shock. They really broke that news. You know, I got to tell you though, on a a serious note, I am shocked how bad the Orioles pitching is. I mean, it was you know I saw it against the Yankees and I saw it against Boston. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. We've had to see it every night. Yeah, we've had to see it every night. What are you talking about? It was bad. It's really bad. Yeah, really, really bad. I really wonder, seriously, this year the Orioles are just barely going to make 2 million people. I really do. I don't think it's a topic that you would think mattered to the the fans, the mass of humanity that go out to the games. I can't tell you, if I'm an Oriole fan, and I'm not talking about the night of the game, but if it's two days away and I go, oh, I'd like to go Thursday night, who's pitching? There's absolutely not one of those guys other than Bundy for the first two or three months that you would have wanted to go out and see. Yeah, correct. It's that bad. I mean, that's how horrible. bad it is. It's horrible. Not, but but it's not just but it's not just the pitching. I mean, I could believe all the strikeouts yeah. that hitters have made. And uh, I got to tell you, I know he, he's hitting a lot of home runs, but I tell you, Chris Davis, man, he strikes out way too much. Way too much. Well, the real story is not that he strikes out too much. It's this year, and it started a little bit last year. He, If you look, and I don't know how to look it up, but I'd say he struck out, what, about 175 times? Yeah. He missed five weeks or six mm-hmm. weeks. But I'd say about 70 of them have been called third strikes. Yeah. Wow. It's just wow. been absolutely mind-boggling. All right, the Yankees are probably going to take on the Twins, Twins. it looks like, in the wild card game. Uh, in New York, uh, who throws for the Yankees in game in that game? It has to be Severino. Has to be Severino. Because, yeah. yeah, because he's clearly their best pitcher. And if the Yankees lose, uh, you know, want to use Tanaka, 
I mean, well, I think that's a bad. He just got he just good. got torched last night in Toronto. Well, he's been torched all year long. I mean, yes, he has some good games, uh, but to me, it's been this way all year long. I'm going to so, tell uh, you, Bill. I'm going to tell you what the Yankees, the smartest thing they could do, and maybe you've got the inside scoop on talking to Joe Girardi. They should do with Tanaka what the Red Sox are doing with David Price for a slightly different reason. Price can't get stretched out. Tanaka can't pitch every fourth or fifth day. He right. needs he needs more time or less innings. So I think if he comes in in a two or three inning situation, I think he's going to be fine, but not to start a game. No, no, not at all. And uh, I tell you, if, if I was in Girardi's shoes, you know what? I would use the same strategy that Francona used, t- Terry Francona used last year with the Indians. Have your starters pitch, you know, four and third innings if you can. They bring you a bullpen yep. to, to win it all. So, uh, I mean, win at least the American League, uh, you know, pennant uh, at least. So um, Chad, I, I think Chad, that's, Chad that's Green, the only way to do it. Chad Green has turned into an absolute beast, hasn't yes, he? Yes. Yes, he yeah. has. And, and that's why I say, you know, to have your starting pitchers bring in, uh, you know, have your starting pitchers pitch one and third. And then bring in your bullpen because your bullpen is that good. And also, um, Rawls Chapman is back on track now, yep. so that helps. Yeah, and uh, if you can get him in back in that closers role uh, with, ba- with, with Batances setting him up, right? Uh, and David Roberts, David doing Roberts, a lot yeah, of heavy David lifting Roberts. in the sixth and seventh innings. Right, yeah. you you could be in pretty good shape there. But the whole thing for the Yankees get through that wild card game because. Yeah, I mean, it's the Twins just like, will probably throw Berrios if they can set it up that way. Correct. Correct. Yeah, but but you know you know what I saw something. I want to tell you guys. I saw something. I don't know if it was ethical or not, but you know, uh, in the first inning against the Twins, I saw the Twins constantly bunt on CC Sabathia. Mm-hmm. If, if, if I'm an opposing team, I would bunt on Sabathia all day long. Because Sebastian obviously has the bad knees, and he can't feel on bumps. He can't feel bumps at all. Interesting. So uh, that's going to be interesting when the postseason starts if they do that. I mean, everyone in the first inning was bunning, and uh, that's going to be interesting. So if I pin you down right now to say who's going to play to get into the World Series in the American League and who's going to get in, who's going to play to get in in the National League, you like Arizona versus the Cubs or Washington? You know what? I have I like Arizona versus the Nationals. Okay, and how about? The, I'm not going to ask you to pick right now because we'll have you on before then. But now yeah. go to the American League. Who are the Yankees going to play to get into the World Series? Hello. Yes. Still here. We must have just lost connection with Bill. Yes, I'm, in, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good enough. American yeah. League. Who are the Yankees going to play to get into the World Series? Um, I'm picking the Indians. Okay. Uh, yeah, Indians uh, against the uh, against the uh, Astros or Red Sox. Against the Red Sox. All right. We'll have you on sometime in October. We appreciate your coming on, Bill. Anytime, man. You guys take care. All right. Thank you. Astros are going to the World Series. The the addition of Verlander, of Verlander has made that team has given its juice again, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And when you have a it's player... It's allowed the offensive part of the team to, to, to relax, kind of relax a little bit. To relax a little yeah. bit, right. The only concern I would have if I'm the Houston Astros and their fans right. is 
what is Dallas Keuchel? Kate, Kate Upton's. No, well, no, 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 no. That that to me, Stan, that on. to me, that to me is is a positive <laughs> for everyone involved. <laughs> It's Fan a positive. Fans, players, positive. everybody. It's a big oh positive. my gosh! But is how Dallas Keuchel handles him being told you're not the number one guy. Yeah. Verlander starting whatever yeah. game one is. All right. I want to ask a real quick question. Mention got to be real quick. <laughs> yeah, because we got to go to break. Aaron Judge, can he tie McGuire's? Rookie record of 49 home runs. And what's he at, 47? 46, I believe. 40, yeah, I mean, I don't see any yeah, reason why no not. No reason he can't do it. No sure. reason. All right, we're going to take a break, and then, I promise, we're going to have Nick Kennedy of Million Dollar Arm Symposium. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, Stan the Fan Charles makes suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Here at Linex, we pride ourselves on protecting what matters most, which is why we're proud to partner with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to support their mission of finding cures and saving children's lives. So during the month of September, we'll be making a donation to St. Jude for every bedliner sold in recognition of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Visit linex.com slash give to St. Jude to learn more and get involved. Working as part of a team is strong. Working with a team of more than a million soldiers is Army strong. Join the U.S. Army and train in one of more than 150 career fields that's more options than any other military branch. Visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com for more. There's Strong and then there's Army Strong paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40k bonus. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Pressbox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash Sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A Hash Brown Scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your Hash Brown Scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today and tell Steve I sent you. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. All right, we are back for the final segment of the battle round, and we appreciate the uh, uh, patience. The, the patience. The of patience. Our, our viewers and listeners here at pressboxonline.com slash radio and facebook.com slash pressboxsports. They've wanted to hear Nick Kennedy, and now they're going to get him. Nick Kennedy, thank you for joining us, and you are the um, originator, developer of Million Dollar Arms Symposium. First of all, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Apolo- Very excited. Thanks uh, for having me. I apologize about the confusion about Central Time and East Coast Time. I was going to say, Stan doesn't know how to tell time. That's all there is to it. It's okay. It's, it's, it was early out here, so it's no problem. All right. Nope. There, one nope. thing we, we can all agree on is never a wrong time to talk about pitching and arm injuries. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea of starting a symposium and why it's named Million Dollar Arm. Yeah, thank you. And again, thanks for having me. So uh, the, the Million Dollar Arm Symposium uh, was kind of created uh, originally about a year and a half ago. And uh, I have some good relationships uh, with the Minnesota Twins. And kind of what sparked it is uh, I have about 15 years' experience coaching uh, in the Legion baseball, kind of the high school uh, here in the Midwest it's for uh, high school age kids. And um, we run a winter workout program here, and kids would start after like two or three weeks in the winter program. Now it's Minnesota, so it's cold up here, right? Uh-huh. right inside the dome. But in the winter program, they would start to say, you know what, coach, my arm hurts. And so I'm thinking, you know what, this is just, what is going on here, right? So um, then we have, um, what really sparked it is we have a surrounding community uh, here uh, up in the Midwest where there were five, in the last two years, get ready, sit down, five kids at the high school level who had Tommy John surgery. Wow. In one community. So um, we have a sister project that I also created called LegionBaseballHub.com. So we use that as a platform. Um, we got some Major League Baseball teams involved, mostly the Minnesota Twins, uh, some, uh, some Big Ten program, uh, programs involved as well. We also had the Mayo Clinic involved. Uh, I have some good relationships down there with their head trainer. Uh, his name is Dan, uh, Dan Christopher. He's worked with the likes of Clayton Kershaw, some other Major League pitchers. And then uh, Dr. Diane Dom as well is on a panel uh, that we had for the Million Dollar Arm. And so what I, what I wanted to do was just kind of create this, uh, this symposium. Um, the end goal 
is to is to have it. We're not quite there yet, right? Yeah. Uh, is to have it where what concussions are to football. Right. Our, our goal is to have this, you know, for for arm safety and arm care. So, to answer your question, long story longer, billion dollar arm is um, it 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 just kind of came a part of all these parents today think that you know my my kid needs to play baseball year round and do all these pitches and uh jim brower uh former major league player uh also up here in the midwest has a great line that he used in the symposium actually that says uh, you know don't fall in love with velocity so yep don't chase uh, a number up. don't chase a number yeah, yep. exactly exactly we're talking with nick kennedy he's the founder of million dollar arm uh, Nick, um, is the idea, you've done this now once in Minnesota, I, I couldn't see on the video, how well was it attended? I mean, was there 100 people there, 500 people, 1,000 people? Uh, how did it do? Yeah, thank you. So um, uh, we sold, uh, you know, as you know, with any first-year event, we're just not sure. Uh, yep. Minnesota Twins did a wonderful job. We had it uh, outside of Target Field here in the <clears throat> Minneapolis area. Uh, there were actually 162 tickets sold. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we didn't know if we were going to get 28 mm-hmm. or, uh, or 500. So I think for the first year event, it was great. At the last minute, we had Fox Sports North um, uh, actually live stream it. That's on their fantastic. Media channel. Yep, that's fantastic. Yeah, it yeah so uh, it was good. We've been told uh, from Fox Sports North that there's been now over 15,000 views of the uh, symposium. So that's, that's wow. great. That's really great, Nick. Um, question, is the idea now that you've done it in Minnesota, are you looking to do it one in Milwaukee, St. Louis, Cincinnati? I mean, are you looking to, to travel with this thing or just grow it in Minnesota right now? No, we're looking to travel with it for sure. Um, the response that I've received over the past week, uh, it's been a week to the day here, uh, has been unbelievable um, from organizations like yourself where, you know, how can we get this to our city? How can we help spread the word? Um, I, I, a great line that somebody asked uh, during the symposium is, I'm kind of, I might be jumping ahead here, but... Um, is, you know, if, if there's a concussion in football or even in baseball, mm-hmm. you know, hey, coach, I mean, you know, my head hurts, I can't see, you're going to take that kid out of the game no matter what. That's where the education is now with concussions, which is just great, right? Yep. In, in baseball, you, you have a, a pitcher who says, hey, coach, my arm hurts a little. Well, it might be the championship game of the uh, whatever age group you're in. And you say, hey, little Johnny, and I'm guilty of this myself. Yeah. You know, hey, Johnny. We need to get two more innings, buddy. It's right. the last game. Right. And so I think that's the end goal is what are the thresholds and the protocols to use that we can try to put in play nationally uh, to educate these baseball coaches, players, and parents. You know, a local writer, he used to write for the uh, Baltimore Sun and the News American here in Baltimore. Now he writes for uh, the business, the Sports Business Journal is Mark Hyman. And if you Google Mark Hyman's book on pitching – he wrote a book about managing his own kid having that exact scenario and where he chose to push his kid to pitch because we really need you to do this. And his kid ended up hurting his arm, and it totally changed his point of view about that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've actually uh, I've heard the stories I've heard, uh, even since this uh, we started promoting this six, seven months ago, are, I've now that it's out there, it, the, the stories are unbelievable. Everybody's yeah. coming out of the woodwork. 
you you mentioned setting this whole segment up uh, about the symposium in that parents will also uh, will, will you know fall in love with the my kids got to play baseball year round and there are so many other people out there who tell them no that's not right they need to play other sports as well and mm-hmm. and i think there's a, a lot to be said for that in that you're just not pushing one sport on the kid right yeah no uh we would absolutely agree with that one thing we learned a couple great stats from our symposium um that we learned one was from dr diane dom she's the head orthopedic surgeon for the minnesota timberwolves uh, but also the minnesota twins she was she uh, was terrific on the parts of the symposium i saw she was great she was just great very well spoken and um the one thing that she recommended hands down number one was to don't throw a baseball for three months yep Mm mm-hmm and so, you know, that's really hard to hear. I can only use in the upper Midwest here, right? So uh, there's high school ball uh, in, uh, you know, in April and May. It's 38 degrees. Okay, you have that. That rolls right into the Legion season. Then you have your winter workouts, which we're in the process now of kind of reworking those with not as much throwing. So then we have this kind of August, September, October, November, which should be uh, what we'll call off months. Um but, you know, now there's, um, you know, there's showcases, there's club teams. All those are good. What, uh, David St. Peter, the president of the Minnesota Twins, uh, who's been just wonderful in helping promoting the Legion Baseball Hub and this million-dollar arm, has a great line. And I steal it from him all the time, so I'll give him credit, is how can we help promote the game of baseball, right? So, um, you know, as we're doing this, you know, whether it's club ball, legion ball, high school ball, whatever, whatever league or association you want to play in is great. But I think the education needs to be out there more of, hey, if you're, if you're playing year-round, it's going to affect you. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. You know, I, I forgot, and maybe if he looked like Dr. Dom did, I would have remembered his name. But there was the sort of average-looking gentleman. It wasn't Brower, and it wasn't one of the hosts. He was talking about doing the work, the, the mirror work. In other words, that, that, of course, everybody would like to throw all year round, but he mm-hmm. said there are other ways to improve without throwing the ball, and a lot of that has to do with self-analysis, kind of looking at video of how you pitch, mm-hmm. working in the mirror on your mechanics. Um, do you remember that part of the uh, symposium? I do, yes. That is Dan Christopher. Dan Christopher. Yep, he also uh, works for the Mayo Clinic uh, here in Rochester, Minnesota, and also uh, the Twin Cities area. Um, Dan's, Dan's credentials and bio speak for themselves. Uh, again, he works from age groups from 12 up to uh, Major League Baseball uh, you know, age players. He's worked with Clayton Kershaw and other Major League players. His, uh, and I wanted to bring him on because it, it's a little different perspective of, uh, you know, hey, I'm not hurt yet. But mm-hmm. what can I do to help to kind of, you know, kind of the pre, during, and post of, uh, you know, uh, not only a game, but, you know, how, how you go after a, a season and what's your approach. So uh, he really talks about, uh, and I've actually been through his, uh, I know Dan very well, uh, I've been through and watched him with, with Major League Pitchers down at the Mayo Clinic, while what he talks about and what he focuses on, and he 
Um, uh, don't quote me on this, but something to the tune of he really focuses on the core and your mechanics, and you know they have these skills and drills to do that without just just what you said without actually throwing at baseball. Right. Uh, he's got a great line, which I'm sure you've heard too. You know, the core and the legs feed the wolf, right? And I was just so, gonna I was just gonna ask you about that. I, the first guy that comes to mind for me when you're talking about that is Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers. How much, because obviously his, his, his wind-up, his motion, his mechanics aren't necessarily, I don't think, what you would look at and say, yeah, that's the, the perfect way to go about it from a pitching perspective. But when you, when you tie in the lower back issues that he's had over the past few years in his career, how much of that, from the, from the medical people that you, you have in these symposiums, how, how much of that really has an effect on his performance, on his arm, going, you know, as he's trying to either get back, rehab from, or whatever, when he's had these lower back issues? Yeah, you know what? I, I have not spoken with Dan or Dr. Dom on that, so I, I, I can't speak for that specifically, but I, I, I do know uh, in talking with Dan and going through their regimen uh, in, in preparation for the symposium, uh, and uh, you know uh, these kids here in the Upper Midwest, they cannot stress enough what it you know uh, stretching uh, your core work, your leg work, and and, and it's, it's not about weightlifting, right? And this is this is what we're trying to get um, with this million dollar arm uh, symposium uh, and kind of education series is how do we take what what Dan is teaching, uh, and I'm sure there's other uh, facilities out there that are doing the same as well. How do we get those into the hands of players and parents so they can understand, you know, don't fall in love with a 92-mile-per-hour fastball, right? It's, it's more about the core work, uh, your legs, uh, your mind, your nutrition. Um, yep. a, a big thing, which you heard Dr. Don mention as well, is uh, sleep recovery. Mm-hmm. And th- those, are all, those are all part of it. So we're looking to kind of package those up and, uh, you know, team up with organizations on a national level. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, I, very important stuff. I'd like to talk to you off air. Some, I've got some ideas about doing one here in Baltimore, uh, you know, using our ability to get the word out sure. and things. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Craig pointed to Clayton Kershaw, who in my mind has sort of imperfect mechanics. The guy mm-hmm. that I come up with from my days watching baseball, I'm 65 years old, who had about as perfect a mechanics as possible and he co-wrote a book with a f- professor of mine, Lee Lowenfish. The book was The Art of Pitching, was Tom Seaver. And I remember mm-hmm. Seaver being the first guy that I remember was all about the strength of the legs. being right. you know. And I guess the core went with that, but that the legs were the important th- thing. And it was so novel to me 35, 40 years ago to hear the, the legs are important to a pitcher. And Nolan Ryan, of course, his longevity, he, he alluded to the legs as well. Yeah, no, it's, um, in working with Dan and his team and Dr. Dom with, with what they go through at the Mayo Clinic, you know, not only for some of the clinics and workshops they put on for, uh, for players that are not injured, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they focus on that more is let us help you get your right mechanics down you know, which which starts with the, the starts with the legs. Uh, you know, obviously yep. with with the pitcher. You you've heard the power T position, maybe mm-hmm. kind of an old school term. Um, but you know, they, they you know 
the in theory, and I'm dumbing this down, of course, but in theory, the arm, kind of like the golf swing, right? The golf club should just kind of whip through at the end. So, uh, and of course, I'm dumbing that down, but. Uh, you never insult. Legs. You never insult Craig and I when you dumb things down for us. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> but from a golf standpoint, I shoot in the low eighties because if it gets any hotter than that, I don't play. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> hey Nick, we really appreciate your coming on this morning. Sorry about the confusion on the time. I think we're due to have somebody on in uh, like two weeks. One of the other members of the panel, uh, and I'd like to talk to you sometime in the next couple weeks. Okay. Nope, that'd be awesome. I all got right. that all set up, and thank you guys so much. I, I applaud you for coming up with this idea and and pushing forward with it. And 162 is a great first step, and I, I know you're going to push forward with this great idea. Yes, thank you guys. All thank right. Thank you for your support. There you have it. The founder of the Million Dollar Arms what Symposium. You were, what you were saying about Tom Seaver. Now, yep. obviously, Seaver is shorter yep. in stature than what Nolan Ryan was, obviously, because yep. Nolan was a pretty big guy. Yep. But all you have to do is see video of Tom Seaver from the wind-up through yep. and how he planted and how close his knees got Came to, to the, the ground. ground. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, that's exactly yep. case in point of what you're right. talking about. Yeah. And it was my professor who you've helped interview a couple times, Lee Lowenfish. Yeah, he wrote that book with Tom Seaver, and that book must have come out. I want to say eighty-seven, eighty-eight in mm -hmm. that time period, something like that. The art of pitching. Yeah, uh, we're going to um, bid adieu. I think yeah. uh, to the program today, like Gary um, Thorne says, "I do adieu." A do adieu, uh, Bonza. We do not need a final break. Correct? No, nope, that's it. That's it. So that's it, folks. Hey, enjoy the rest of your sports weekend. You got the Orioles in Tampa uh, tonight at the ballpark, tomorrow afternoon at the ballpark. Orioles have four, five more games after that. I think it's critical that this team win about five of their last seven games, Craig. Well, if they do, if they do, they're going to finish uh, like 80 and 82. Something like they that. They have to win every game, game to, finish to finish 500. I don't see that in the cards, but I think. Short of that, well, that it, would that would require another seven-game winning streak. Well, what I really hate is to lose all seven yeah. and finish at three and twenty for the season, and finish in last place yeah. more than likely in yeah. the division. I do want to mention the fantasy reality football show tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, it's got a special time. What time? Eight thirty a.m. Oh, it's eight thirty a.m. It's starting before. That's great. The fantasy and reality show starting at eight thirty a.m. to get you up to. And include the Jacksonville Ravens game tomorrow morning at 9.30. Have a great sports weekend ahead. And don't forget Maryland today at 3 o'clock. I'm sure you can watch that on the Big Ten channel, right? Yep. All right. They play UCF, UCF. at 3 o'clock today. Talk to you later, folks.